Welcome to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast. Everything you need to know about hypermesis gravidarum and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy with your hosts, Karen and Lindsay. With this podcast, we aim to combine valuable evidence-based information from Karen with Lindsay's personal experience as an HG survivor. We are passionate about raising awareness of hypermesis and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy and supporting women who are or have suffered to know that you are not alone. Welcome to our fourth episode of the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast uh, with Karen and Lindsay. Um, today we are joined by Charlotte Howden, an HG survivor, campaigner and the sick film producer. Welcome Charlotte. Hello, thank Hi. you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so we much. We are very excited to have you here. <laughs> you are very You're our first, first guest. I know I'm you're so excited. Like, you're so you're just talking over each other. I know yeah. I'm the first guest. Well, that is an honour. And as you know, anything for PSS and anything for you ladies. So I'm I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Hooray, hooray. Before we get started, Charlotte, this week there's been a lot in the press um, about a research paper that was produced by Professor Gadsby from Warwick University, who is also a founding member of Pregnancy Sickness Support, it's exciting, and calling for the term morning sickness to be replaced with pregnancy sickness because it's felt to be um, not representative of what women actually experience. And yeah. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, really. Yeah, I mean, I think it's essential that that term is thrown out, put in the bin, never used again. And it's something um, that I'm quite passionate about. And I think not just women who've had high premises will suffer from this idea that you get pregnant, you're a little bit sick in the morning, and then everything is fine. Um, and I think because of that perception, any woman who's suffering with nausea and vomiting in pregnancy will struggle to feel like they can speak up, like they can complain. Um, and, you know, I think it's a brilliant piece of research and was really, really happy to see it. Um, one of the things that actually the author, uh, the professor said, which I thought was fantastic, was a wonderful quote where he said, what more data do you need? You know, and this is for the medical profession as well as general public and the media. You know, you can almost imagine him in his office, like, what more do you need <laughs> to stop calling it morning sickness? So I thought that was a brilliant quote. And I think it really summed up, you know, the fact that there are lots of things that happen within the research world and it doesn't necessarily translate over and move over into the media. And that's a real shame. And I definitely would be campaigning for that to happen. I feel like I've been running like a one woman campaign for a few years now on eradicating that term and I'm really conscious about never ever using it myself because yeah. I just think it's unhelpful yeah. whether we're talking about hypermesis or not it's just not helpful it doesn't describe what women experience because for most women who even if they get the mild end of um, pregnancy sickness it's not just in the morning for some of them it's just in the evening mm. and it just it belittles the experience I think so whenever I do awareness raising workshops and talk to yeah. midwives or students um, or GP surgeries, I always make a point of saying pregnancy sickness. So I think it would be really amazing if, if we could see that term just, as you say, put in the bin with yeah. the lid on and never seen yeah. again. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're... Um you know, reading through when we posted them on our social media platforms, the comments that we were getting back um, about it, I think absolutely, you know, completely goes along with that. Um, women are so desperate for the term to, to not be used um, because it really does undermine the severity of their experience, no matter what that experience is. Um, and, you know, so many women were saying, but my sickness isn't even in the morning. So mm. how is that? How is it even relevant? So absolutely, I think it, it's a much needed change. And, um, and hopefully we can also what what it means is that women can take this document to their doctors and say, you know, it's not morning sickness. What I have is not morning sickness. You shouldn't be calling that anyway. Um, and what I have is you know these symptoms and so can we treat these symptoms um and if it goes into uh, you know on the spectrum of this condition if it moves into whichever realm of uh, the spectrum it's in you know it can then have the appropriate terminology kind of linked to it rather than this kind of blanket oh well, you've got morning sickness because it you know it really does inhibit 
necessary treatment as well it's mm. you know it's not just i read a comment on the one of the um uh papers that published it and and it's you know this is such a waste of time and you know it's um who what does it matter and it's actually it really really matters because it's stopping yeah. women from getting life-saving treatment when you have the blanket terminology of morning sickness it it means that women don't get what they need and and that's when things go wrong yeah no it's a really good point i hadn't actually thought about that it's actually a tool now so someone can print that off have that in their kind of toolkit of things they need to yes. do and we shouldn't have to but yes. we're not in that place at the moment hopefully that is going to change but that's a really good point that if women are feeling like okay i know how this conversation is going to go because i've experienced either i've experienced this conversation before or it's just so you know perpetuated in everything we watch on tv and all the media i'm expecting to be told this just morning sickness it will go at 12 weeks yeah so, again really great point that documentation those facts those figures can be taken and hopefully whoever they present that to might be a bit more um empathetic and sympathetic and realize just how important the words that you use are to someone yeah. who is not feeling well yes exactly Absolutely. and it feels like morning the term morning sickness provide it is a really effective barrier to um understanding that pregnancy sickness is a spectrum mm. and it's almost um it, it hopefully it will help medical professionals especially mm. to know that okay well it's pregnancy sickness so let's have a look at that spectrum mm -hmm. um, and see where you appear on that yeah um, are you at the severe end are we talking actually about hypermesis or are you at the sort of middle end mm. whereas i feel like um the term morning sickness is just like a barrier it's yeah. just like a you know I don't know. It is. And it really kind of it really diminishes, I think, the condition as a whole because it, it kind of puts everybody in that kind of normal realm. And you know, for a lot of women, they experience normal preg normal pregnancy sickness. So you would absolutely be in that kind of mild end. But for those that don't, it isn't in any way a relative term. Um, mm -hmm. and so we need to be like with any other condition we need to be using the right terminology. And just because yeah. if you can't say hyperemesis gravidarum, say yeah. HG instead, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it, we wouldn't do this with any other condition. We would mm. make sure that we would, t we were properly naming each aspect of it to make sure that women were classified properly, treated properly and supported yeah. properly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering when are we going to see the, the research on ginger and how effective ginger is? That's like the next thing I think to kind of try and tackle. And I know there has been research out there that has shown it does yes. can actually have a little bit of an impact on nausea and vomiting, but not necessarily in pregnancy. This would be, you know, uh, car sickness, sea sickness, motion sickness. Yeah. Um, but there seems to be a lot of different takes on the amount of dosages it would take to even have a little bit of an impact. But I mean, in general, we're, we're basically saying a ginger biscuit ain't going to cut it, love you know <laughs> exactly and i think feel like that's the next step we need to really seriously look into that being the next thing because the first thing people say it's just morning sickness and the second thing they say is have you tried ginger yeah absolutely and and um lindy and i discussed previously um when we did our um podcast about um medication we were talking about how a ginger biscuit doesn't have any ginger in it no <laughs> so you know the the benefit of um saying to a person have a ginger biscuit actually uh, any old biscuit will do um yeah. but also it's not even necessarily relevant because if you're not able to swallow your own saliva yeah how are you supposed to swallow a biscuit um yeah. and so the notion of a ginger biscuit you're absolutely right needs to kind of be blown out of the water yeah um you know and there is absolutely there is some research around ginger it's a very specific dose taken in a very specific way but it's yeah. only for mild nausea and vomiting yeah. it's not for any further than that and you know yeah. the, the research that we've done at pregnancy sickness support shows actually that it can be really detrimental to sufferers in terms of not only their mental health but their physical health in terms of making things much worse exacerbating nausea acid burning all of those sensations which really add to the the debilitation of the condition um you know and so it, it absolutely needs to be wiped out completely in terms of 
pregnancy sickness and hyperemesis. It just doesn't add anything. It doesn't, no. you know, it doesn't help. No, it's just like the home cures, isn't it? It's just another one of those. And, yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting thing I've always wondered about. I do feel sometimes, I don't know whether this is a human race generalistic, but we like to offer help. We like to, you know, when someone is suffering with something, our first thing in our, in our mind is to offer an opinion and to offer a help. And that's not necessarily something that I would, you know, w- wouldn't want to happen mm. between people. But there are so many times. Um, when I think about my own experience where everyone just felt like they they almost were um, it was their right to give an opinion on my pregnancy and what I was going through and none of these people were doctors and actually a lot of them hadn't even been pregnant themselves so you know yeah. what I mean you know it's such a interesting conversation I think that needs to to happen more about what we do when someone is not well and, and how we treat them yeah yeah because I think people find it hard just to sit with it and, yeah. and to say, well, that's really tough. Yeah. Without adding in the, oh, have you thought about, have you tried? What yeah. about why read once? And actually all of those things invalidate the suffering that women are experiencing because it's suggesting that there is a quick fix and there isn't. Yeah, Just absolutely. And, but, but to sit with that, um, the, that there is nothing that can be done and to just sit with that knowing with other people and watch yeah. them suffering and witness it is really hard. Yeah. And that's, there's a real skill to being able to do that, which the majority of people don't have. And so that instinct to fix rescue, do something. And it's the same around grief, isn't it? When, you know, when somebody loses somebody, yeah, you come up with these kind of little cliched, um, slightly try I don't know what the word is but you know just th- these little sort of offerings and they yeah. feel like that's help that they've done their bit no yeah. what you've done is you've invalidated how they're feeling yeah and in some way made their suffering not any better mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you see it all the time and you know I'll hold my hands up and say I'm I can definitely be accused of that sometimes but since having hyperemesis it's something that I really am very conscious of not to do anymore so mm-hmm. someone's is suffering or has experienced some kind of grief or hurt is just to go do you know what really sorry that's really shit (laughs) you know yeah yeah and I'm not going to offer you any advice because I have literally no idea what you are going through but can I do anything Mm -hmm. is there anything and that's that's what we need isn't it yeah when we're suffering we need the offer of um of help but not in a I know what you need kind of a way in a what can I do what Mm. is there that would make this slightly Mm. less horrific for you Mm. um and and where you know where is my place in that is an Mm. acceptable way to go but I think having hyperemesis or any long-term health condition actually is like a a masterclass, a sort of speed through empathy Absolutely. Uh, and if there's nothing else you get from it you get a hell of a massive dose of empathy and there's not much you get from high premises but that's one of the things (laughs) you get a you get a baby uh, you get a baby well that's true you get a pretty damaged pelvic floor um and and yeah you get a massive uh, dose of empathy yeah yeah absolutely and that's why we have such amazing volunteers yes Absolutely. And so Charlotte, you mentioned there about um, experiencing high premises. Would you mind kind of expanding a little bit and telling us a little bit about your experience? I know that so many women find it so valuable to hear other people talking about their own experience to, you know, to really kind of reduce that isolation and that feeling of loneliness, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just feeling like nobody else is going through this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been, you know, I've been quite open about my story. I've featured in a couple of news articles um obviously the sick film which we'll talk about later I'm very open about my experience in that um but you know actually just leading on from what you were just talking about about the whole terminology use of the words morning sickness and that's really kind of for me one of the things that I will take away from my entire experience of just feeling so helpless because I was 100% convinced that I just had morning sickness yeah and I must be so weak and so ill-prepared for pregnancy and so, um, you know, just not able to be a pregnant person and, like, look, thinking about the hundreds and millions, thousands of women who have done this before me who all seem to do it perfectly well. Yeah. And for some reason, I couldn't. So 
when the high premises started for me, I really went very inward. Um, and, you know, when I've talked about my story before, I'm always very conscious of the fact that I didn't seek help until I was between eight and 10 weeks pregnant, which to some people, they might think, oh, eight weeks, you know, but when you have high premises from, you know, some women get it, you know, from week three, literally mm. after ovulation, crying out loud, you know, mm. eight weeks is a really, really long time. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I didn't ask for help is purely because I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought it was my, my inability to handle pregnancy. It wasn't that there was a condition out there that could possibly be causing this. And I think, again, a lot of that's perpetuated by the fact that as a woman, um, I've spoken about this before, you are taught from a very young age how to not get pregnant. Um, that is a very <laughs> big focus in our, especially in our yeah, teenagers. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it's different in countries, in other countries, in this country, we don't specifically have a gynecologist or um, that we would go and see if we yeah. have women issues, you still go to your GP. Um, and only really if something was very obviously wrong, would you be referred? I didn't just didn't really know. Yeah. High premises hit me. The obvious thing for me to think was I just not very good at doing this and there's something wrong with me. Um, and I will always remember that because I think that was a real massive, massive barrier to me getting care. Um, and when I did reach out for help, unbeknownst to me at the time, I didn't actually get any help. That wasn't going to come. But I feel like if I had reached out for help earlier, then that process of getting help would have come quicker, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, that, that early stage was, was really very much concentrating on that there must be something wrong with me. It can't possibly be a condition that I've never heard of. Mm. Um, and the next kind of step in my journey really from eight weeks onwards was begging, calling, asking, you know, exasperated, um, reaching out for some medical professional to, to help me. And each time I was very much met with the, the message of it's just morning sickness. You have quite bad morning sickness. It will go by the, by the end of the first trimester. Um, which obviously it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that whole period was really extremely physically, obviously. I, um, I saw a post actually, Karen, the other day you put on um, about safe foods. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw my reply and I was like, there were literally none. Yeah. But, I mean, that was my experience. There was nothing that I could keep down at all. Um, and that then continued on to a time and this is where I became extremely extremely scared for my life when I was then unable to keep down water yeah um, and then my own saliva as well so yeah. it really was a very horrible period for me those three things going on not eating not drinking not being able to swallow um and you just love though that that saliva your own saliva will make you sick and yet one of the side effects of high premises is um excessive saliva yeah <laughs> you know oh. as if i don't know who created this disease but if it was someone who created it, as if they you know it's just like they wanted to rub it in a little bit more there you it's go it's like some kind of sick joke isn't it, it is that you know like just because joke. you everything is going to make you feel sick so we'll yeah. accelerate your yeah. production of things that will make you feel sick yeah. that's brilliant yeah, excusing the pun, but yes, Lizzie, it is a sick joke. Sick so, joke. um, yeah, it was a very difficult time for me, and I lost obviously a lot of a lot of weight. I couldn't work, um, and mentally, that was the period where, and I have spoken about this. Um, I very much felt like I didn't want to be alive anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, that it would be easier if I just were not here because I was such a burden to my husband, my family, um. And really, you know, when, when you think about it, it's like being tortured, really. And I, I mean, yeah. that's quite an extreme thing to say, but... And it's obviously quite an extreme I, condition, though. Yeah, and, you know, I've not ever been in a torture position before, so I might not... 
I can't relate completely to that, but you've basically taken away the main things that a human being needs to live. Mm -hmm. So food, water, um, you know, comfort and love. You, you can't have any comfort from anyone. You can't hug anyone. Mm. You can't have closeness. Um, you know, you have shelter. Yeah. But so much so that you don't get to leave that shelter. You are there seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, and mentally, I, I just felt like there was literally nothing else really to live for. I wasn't doing anything. I was existing in a state of uh, well, filth because I couldn't wash. Um, I smelt, and there was nothing to look forward to. And um, obviously, now four years on, I have a beautiful, wonderful, charming, cheeky, frustratingly annoying son. <laughs> but at the time, you, you you can't think more than a, like a minute ahead into yeah. the future. Contemplate the joy that is going to come if you can get through this is impossible. So yeah, those are very, very dark times for me. And I just really felt very, um, yeah, like I just didn't want to be here. It would just be easier. And I, I remember thinking to myself, because um, I never really thought about, you know, jumping out of a window or taking my own life in that way, which I know some women do. For me, it was more, I just don't want to wake up. Yeah. So much easier if tomorrow I just didn't wake up and then I would be at peace. Um, and I would be happy again, wherever we go, I would be happy again. And it would be very sad for everyone, but it would just be so much easier for me, which I suppose sounds a bit selfish, but you know, when you're trying to survive this, you really yeah. can only think about yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that sounds wonderful. I'm really selling it, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, that's truth, you know, that, yeah. that is yeah. truth. And, um, one of the things I'm quite aware of when I've been speaking out about the condition is, you know, I do put a lot of negative content out there and a lot of things that happen, but I would much rather women be informed of yeah. what could happen. I'm not saying this will happen if you get hyperemesis because there is a spectrum, as you've said, Karen, you can have mild hyperemesis. I had severe hyperemesis, but you know, but I think it's, think as women we all deserve to be informed about the possibilities yeah. of things that can happen to us yeah. um and yeah that period was very very difficult for me and I did go into hospital and I did ask to have a termination um luckily at the time the uh consultant that I saw she was very much like look give me some time because I can see that you've been suffering and you've had no help and I want to try and help you and give me some time just to go through the medications we can buy. And, you know, firstly, let's just start by rehydrating you. I was extremely severely dehydrated, um, which I was very lucky that she did. And she took that time with me and, um, it was quite common with hyperemesis sufferers. I was fine. And I, I, you know, I speak about this in the film. I remember being rehydrated and the, the lady came around with the form to, to fill out the food options if we were staying overnight, which I was. And I literally ticked everything. I was like, oh, yeah. my God, give me everything. You know, I want seconds. And I can tell you now that that food tasted so good and it was hospital food. So it was probably, to anyone else, the, the worst meal they've ever had in their life. But for me, it was amazing. Um, and then, you know, the cycle kind of started whereby I was, um, you know, uh, not released, released from hospital. That's not quite the right word. It sounds like prison, does it? Well, it was a bit like prison, but um, I was sent home. And within about, I think, 10 hours, 10, 12 hours, I was being sick again. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just started all over again, that cycle. It was so repetitive of going into hospital, coming home, feeling well, being sick, and then just going straight downhill again. Yeah. Which, yeah. and that's a really common theme that yeah. we hear a lot. And I, you know, I know Karen, you hear that on the helpline all yeah. the time is that I go to hospital, I get rehydrated, I get antiemetics, they send me home and then it all just starts again. And for some yeah. people that's within 12 hours, as you've said, for me, it was yeah. a couple of weeks. So I was yeah. quite lucky, but I did spend five days at a time in hospital rather than right. the sort of 12 hours that a lot of people seem to get. But it's that cycle of, we'll just send you off and you'll be okay. Mm. Yeah. 
that isn't the reality of high premises. The reality is it needs to be managed at home mm-hmm. with the option of coming back in if you need to, but look, here's loads of medication. Let's see if we can get on top of it. And that's, that's the disconnect, isn't it? Between the reality of the condition and the treatment that, that women often receive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's so frustrating about it as well is because that whole experience just adds more to that element of torture because you're kind of giving someone some hope and some relief yeah and then you're just taking that away again with no follow-up you know that the period when i would leave hospital nobody called me the gp didn't contact me there was no follow-up whatsoever it was it was almost like it was like you know come in spend some time with us then we're going to throw you out again and we're just going to hope for the best yeah, yeah. which you, you you wouldn't do that with any other condition you know no. if someone's suffering with no. diabetes or you know, a, a cancer sufferer, it's a very managed care plan because the reality is that if someone is not getting the right care for something like diabetes or cancer, it's catastrophic mm. to that person's health. And I often wonder with hyperemesis, because it is for nine months and mm-hmm. everyone can see a kind of end date to it, that they just think we can get on with it. Um, but I'm sure, Karen, and, and Lindsay, you must know the amount of money that is wasted by these women being sent home yeah. to suffer, to then be readmitted when they might not have needed to have been if yeah. they'd had the proper care. And that's definitely something that, that how I felt. And then once again, that just added to, I'm a burden. I'm taking up a hospital bed from a woman who's you know, who's had a miscarriage or ha- has had um, an ectopic pregnancy or someone who's you know, got other female health issues, I'm taking that bed from them when I've just got really bad morning sickness. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the whole process, if you think about how it's managed, is you know, it's heartbreaking. And, and going through it, I can attest to that. It's just heartbreaking to, yeah. to be in the system in that way and to not receive the, the care that you need. Yeah. And so what, what kept you going? How did you... How did you keep going? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think, to, to be honest, the time that I'd had in hospital, because I did feel so better and I did get that relief and it did give me the hope, um, I felt like if I could just keep going in there, mm. then I would be okay. Um, and we got to the point where the early pregnancy unit were like, look, don't go through your GP. Mm-hmm call us direct we will you can self-admit yourself you don't have to be referred anymore which was really helpful yeah and it was just very slowly things started to come in to place um and actually the thing that that kept me going when I was in hospital the second time was when I um <laughs> just happened upon my medical notes and actually saw for the first time what I had yeah up until that point no one had ever said to me you have hyperemesis gravidarum, it's a severe form of pregnancy sickness, da 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 da. It was always, Charlotte, you've just got really bad morning sickness. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. So there's a big strength in actually being told what's yeah. wrong with you. Yes. And it is an actual real condition. It's not yeah. because you, you know, you went to that place inside you, which I think is quite familiar to lots of mm. us, of I'm obviously doing this wrong. Mm. I am failing at motherhood already and I've not even got a baby in my arms yeah thousands of women have been doing this for years mm. and yet I can't I can't do this I'm rubbish at pregnancy that yeah. kind of stuff and actually to know actually no that's not the case you have mm. a condition which you have no control over and you're pregnant yes but you're also ill that's mm-hmm. so powerful yeah. in terms of healing yeah. our mental health and knowing that we can't control this mm-hmm. and yeah. and this is not all in your head and you know this needs this needs treatment and management yes and i think it gives you almost some level of control back um or at least empowers you as you say lindsay to know that this is something that's completely out of your control there's nothing that you can physically do to make it go away um you can't ginger biscuit ginger biscuit it away you can't fresh air it away you know Mm. it's none of those things it's you know it's a legitimate medical condition that requires outside help outside medical treatment outside support to help you get through it um and it legitimizes 
what women go through i think to be able to you know to say i have this condition and that's you know that's what's wrong with me and you know it gives you the option to tell whoever you want to tell that you know it's not morning sickness this is something completely different um and what i need most from you is some compassion and some support and some empathy and even if you've got no idea what this what this is like what i could possibly be feeling like what i don't need you to tell me is what i should and shouldn't be doing and how i should and shouldn't be feeling absolutely and and like i said when you know when i saw those words it did give me a little bit of a boost really to go okay this is an actual thing this is a condition um and, and that little bit of information, I mean, you know what I'm going to say. I obviously went home and Googled yes. everything yeah. possible. Um, which again, though, is really sad because it should have, you know, I should have been told from the start, this is what you have. Yeah. Here's the information leaflet about the condition. Um, here is pregnancy sickness support. Mm-hmm. Call them because they are far more knowledgeable than we are about this or, or how to, you know, to respond to, to you. They'll be able to... Um, you know, you have your buddy system and here are the resources and, you know, I didn't get any of that. No. And, you know, you're kind of then as a, as a lay person, I'm not a medical professional. You put your hands, your life in the, in the hands of Google mm. and sometimes you strike out, you know, I did find um, some very disturbing articles about medications and what you should and shouldn't be doing. And, but then I found pregnancy sickness support and everything I needed was on a website, which was just incredible. So, you know, I think it's really important that we all in this community bring other women in it and educate them and support them because there, there is a lot of nonsense out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm just saddened that when I was in the care of that hospital, that they couldn't give me that information there and then, which would have, you know, I wasn't actually in the best place to be using Google because watching a screen and looking at a laptop made me feel sick. But it was the only way of information. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I think then, that that having that um that diagnosis that that label was like the ultimate weapon against all those people going. Have you tried ginger? Well, yeah. I had morning sickness too. Like actually no yeah this is something else this has got its own name and its own stuff and yeah I don't know much about it yet but you know less about it because you've never even heard of it yeah exactly no I think it did but I'll be I'll be completely honest with you like I didn't see anyone apart from my husband and my parents I wasn't going to work anymore I hadn't really told anybody what was going on Mm. um and because Henry was our first child we didn't have our kind of like mum and dad group yeah like now we've got this massive network of friends we've all got kids we see a lot of each other at that time it was very much my husband and i we traveled for work um a lot our friends were scattered around the world around the country so i didn't really have people coming to kind of see us or check on us or anything like that apart from two very close friends um and they were wonderful they were very very supportive and and um would listen to me and to to my you know my hurt and my upset and so I was kind of lucky in that way but in another way it just kind of added to the isolation mm-hmm. um you know I wasn't in a position to walk down the street with a sick bag I just couldn't get out of bed so luckily in some way in another way I suppose so I didn't have random people saying to me oh have you got morning sickness because that probably would have set me off god <laughs> that would have been horrible I was quite lucky but then you know I was quite lucky but it was because I was in bed and I yeah. couldn't yeah and it um, sounds really lonely yes incredibly lonely I don't think I've I mean I'm actually an only child so I'm actually quite used to being alone and quite an independent person but there's a level of isolation and loneliness and um I've never experienced it to that degree before because my you know my husband had to go to work yeah he could not go to work he couldn't sit at home with me all day and to be honest as as you will know him being in the room would make yeah. me feel sick yeah so you can't really be there for someone when you're having to sit downstairs and be away from them um, yeah, yeah and, and really a lot hard. of the time I wouldn't know did you suffer all the way through Charlotte or did you did you ever have a period where symptoms reduced yeah so I count myself as really lucky so eventually I was given um medication uh, on Dantron, um and I was given that to take at home 
there was no um, kind of restrictions around how many I could have. It was on repeat prescription. So I know some women kind of get a prescription for seven days and then they have to go back and forth. Yep. I didn't, didn't have that, thankfully. Um, and that really was my wonder drug. Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of press and news about Ondansetron, but all I can say was that it saved my pregnancy. Without that drug, yeah. there is no way that my son would be here right now because I just was not able to cope. Yeah. And it helped me pretty much, you know, I will be honest, for some women I know it's different, but for me, I was pretty much back to normal. I was about 20 weeks pregnant and I was back to eating normally. I was very um, anxious about taking the medication in terms of if I took it at nine in the morning and two in the afternoon and five o'clock at night, I had to do that every day. Yeah. It, it was also very, you know, also very OCD about it. If I, if it was 10 minutes past, I would normally take it. I would freak out that I was going to start being sick again. Yeah. So it became almost pathological that I had to yeah. do that. I had to have the medication with me. I went back to work. Um, if I'd forgotten the medication, I would go home straight away. I wouldn't even tell anyone where I was going. I didn't even have time to do that. I had to get home yeah. to get the medication. So, you know, it improved my life tremendously. Um, but there were added things like that, which resulted in almost, you know, a very anxious living that way, knowing that if you don't take this, you, you might be very seriously ill again. Mm. Um, it's just another thing to have to deal with. Yeah. So, you know, I do count, like I said, I count myself very lucky that at 20 weeks, I was pretty much back to normal. Um, there's lots of jokes and um, posts about the side effects of Ondansetron, which I won't go into because some of them aren't so nice. But, yeah. you know, compared to what my life was like, yeah, that was nothing. Um, and yeah, so, you know, the rest of my pregnancy it was a normal pregnancy, in inverted commas, but of course it very much wasn't i spent the last 22 weeks of my pregnancy just desperately wanting to not be pregnant i hated mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. the whole yeah. experience had been ruined yes i felt better and that was incredible but i could not wait to not be pregnant anymore mm -hmm. um, you know and i know for women out there who don't even get the opportunity to to get pregnant that must be quite hard to hear but it was just such an awful time. I hated it. I hated, I had this perfect bump as well. Every time I see the midwife, she's like, oh, you've got perfect bump. You're growing perfectly. And it was, you know, from a medical point of view, other than the hyperemesis, it was a perfect pregnancy. And I just could not wait mm. to be out. <laughs> it was just yeah. like. For it oh, to all be over. Yeah. I just wanted it to be over and to just start life again because I just feel like your life is completely put on pause yeah. um, and you know that the whole experience is not what they sold to me mm. yeah and that's TV. really important isn't it because I don't yeah. I honestly think if you were to do a poll of all the women in the UK who've been pregnant not a lot of them would say oh it was awesome I loved it every second no. of it actually a, a significant proportion of women, whether they have an additional medical condition like hypermesis or not, yeah. do not enjoy pregnancy because it is like your body is not your own. Mm. Uh, and, and yes, when you have hypermesis, of course, your life is on hold. You, you know, that's just like pressing yeah. a massive pause button. The world's revolving, but you are absolutely staying still. You're trapped at home. You don't see anyone. Work carries on without you. Friends carry on without you. Husband has to go to work. Mm. All of that stuff carries on, but you can't. So it's, you know, it's understandable that that is not an enjoyable experience. No, and absolutely. We need to be more honest about pregnancy, the realities of pregnancy, regardless yeah. of hypermesis. So that women have an actual real, um, a real life experience to learn from rather yeah. than, oh, it's all, it's wonderful. It's all roses. It's you glow. Mm, not, not for me. So. Um, <laughs> not all the time. Um, and so, you know, when, as you're growing up, you have this idealized image. And I think it adds to the grief, to the yeah. loss of yeah pregnancy a normal pregnancy yeah. when you have a condition like high premises because your imagination is that or your expectation is that mm. pregnancy is this amazing experience that you will love every second of and you don't no you don't yeah so 
and it, it, it's very common and it's something that I definitely want to continue forward with whatever happens with the sick film just in general this idea of pregnancy and what it is supposed to be like and it isn't you know you've got I do feel though like you, you know we've got the fourth trimester which a lot of people talk about with yeah. postnatal depression anxiety extremely important there's a lot of conversations going on around around that which is fantastic and it needs to be more but it's going in the right direction um the trying to conceive kind of conversations very well discussed um more conversations need to happen there because it is very very devastating even if you do end up conceiving for some women the amount of time it takes to get pregnant is yeah. a massive impact on you um and then there's this kind of other bits isn't there that if it we just leave out the pregnancy bit and yeah. or we concentrate massively on the birth. Mm. Um, I was very lucky. Henry was, well, it's, it's funny. When I say this, whenever we have talk about this, you know, when you're having a dinner party or something, people go, oh, what was your birth like? And then all the, all the men in the room go, oh, God, mm. go to the kitchen and get a beer. Come along, they're going to talk about births. And I'm always there going, my birth was wonderful. It was so brilliant. And my husband <laughs> did have me like, are you kidding? I'm like, shut up. It was like, you swore at me. You called your mother a horrible word. You were <laughs> screaming in pain. I was like, I was, but it wasn't traumatic. And there are a lot of women who have traumatic births. Yeah. And again, yeah. you know, anxiety and, and PTSD can come from that. So there's so many things that can happen in a pregnancy. And we just need to talk about it more, like you say, yeah. Lizzie, and, you know, not sugarcoat it, roast into glasses. Mm. But I will say it's okay if you do have a perfect pregnancy and you love it yeah. mm -hmm. and you go to baby yoga, uh, sorry, mother and baby, not even mother and baby, just prenatal yoga. yoga. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you do glow and, you know, you have a wonderful water birth when the baby comes out in two hours. I admire you and I am jealous. Of you. Yes, indeed. But yeah. let's just be real about it. Like you said, there's, there's so many more conversations to have about it and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, it really is important I think for all women to understand that it's okay to complain about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not be shot down and yeah. you know not be told to be thankful and grateful because mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people would say to me oh, at least you can get pregnant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know well at least you at least, <laughs> at least you won't put any baby weight on or what else do people usually say to me um Oh, well, it must, it must be a very wanted baby then, because if you have morning sickness, it means it's a special pregnancy and, you know, you, you're not going to miscarry and all these kind of things. And you just think, oh, yeah, if only you knew. Only yeah. you knew. It's just, you just have to be so careful in the way we talk to each other. And a lot of that, actually, I don't know if you agree, is women talking to women. It's not men, yeah. necessarily. No. I mean, I think most men are petrified to even mention how a woman looks when she's pregnant or you know, to make any kind of <laughs> suggestions or opinions or mansplain something. I think they are quite yeah. terrified of that. But women on women, it's like, it's almost like open Fair game. comment. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And it's interesting, actually, that we're talking about this today, because yesterday I saw a tweet from a health, um, uh, I think it was a hospital or um a Royal College, I can't remember exactly, but they, they want to have this exact conversation that we shouldn't be hiding things from women, mm. um, that we, you know, women need to know everything about yeah. pregnancy and birth. It's because just because you don't talk about it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean yeah. it goes away. Um, and so we have to inform women. They have the, every woman has the right to know mm. these things. Um, and, and so it's an interesting um, topic um that's yeah. you know it's great to see that actually other people are seeing that you know we've we as an organization and um hd women sufferers survivors have known this for a long time that women need yeah. to know these things you need to yeah. know so that you feel empowered so that you can take yeah. control and it's now coming around that other people are seeing this as well mm -hmm. so Which hopefully these conversations can grow and develop and mm -hmm. you know women within antenatal classes you know in education through schooling can learn all of these really important topics it's as you say it's not just well you're going to have a baby and it's going to be wonderful and marvelous yeah. and everything's going to be lovely because it's just not the case no um, it's not and so we need to we need to kind of have those conversations so um how has your experience charlotte impacted your family and your kind of your view of that 
Yeah, so um, I mentioned at the end of the sick film that one of the hardest things for me, harder than going through high premises, was making a decision to only have one child. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe that's, you know, my journey is four years on now. So even though high premises is, is harrowing and all that it is, you do start to forget some of the things that you went through and how you felt at that time. Um, probably very similar to how you forget about how you felt when you were in birth. So, um, but this is very much at the forefront of my mind. It is, it's on my mind every single day. And as I've seen Henry grow and flourish and started to see friends, colleagues going for their second child, having their second child, some are now on their third child. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very difficult. But what I will say is that it's kind of, it's a bit like a process. And after Henry was born, we were one and done. And that was a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then actually, it was actually, Henry was a really easy baby. And I, I remember thinking, God, this is really easy. Why has everyone been complaining? Like, okay, he doesn't sleep, but he sleeps a lot in the day, so I can sleep. He feeds really well. Um, well, he fed very well because I didn't breastfeed because I couldn't, so it was perfect. Like, me and my husband could split the feedings. I was sleeping. Everything was brilliant. And then, you know, he started to walk, and um, life changed forever on that day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But I remember feeling very happy about that. I was like, he is wonderful. I'm so happy to have him. We are one and done. Brilliant. And then I'm sure like most women, you do start to, to get broody again. You start to think about expanding your family. And every time we would have the conversation, I think both my husband and I were just petrified. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was coming from a very different point of view. His words to me were, I don't think that I can see you go through that again. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, which really, it was the first time we'd been quite open about it. Um, my husband's quite quiet and laid back and, you know, he, he's very, I'm the very loud, gregarious, gregarious one of the, the couples. So, you know, to hear him be quite opinionated like that, I was like, oh, wow, okay, it must have really affected you as well. Um, and for me, I was just like, my life is Henry and I just don't know what I would do if I couldn't spend time with him for nine months. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the hardest things, and I've said this quite a few times to a lot of women who contact me saying the same, is that hyperemesis almost takes away the ability to make the decision to have yeah. another one or not. Yeah. Because a lot of people will say to me, well, if you were, if, if you, were told that you will definitely not have high premises, would you do it? And I'm like, I can't answer that question because I know mm -hmm. that 80% yeah. chance that I will. It's not possible for me to answer that question, um, you know, correct and, and, and honestly, when I know at the back of my mind that there's such a large chance, large risk that this will happen to me again. Yeah. So you have to, you have to make that decision based on, on all the information you have. And I yeah. know that there's very big risk that I will get high premises. I had severe high premises last time. So for me, I sometimes feel like if there's a spectrum, if I think a lot of women could have mild high premises, then the second one is a bit worse. And then if they went for a third, that might be severe. I almost feel like Ugh, I started at the top. <laughs> there's nowhere to go. Um, I don't think it will go down. I don't think I would have mild high premises next time. Mm -hmm. And me that risk is just it's just so huge and there doesn't ever seem to be a right time um you know in fact my husband and I we were talking about this last night because I said I was doing the podcast today and he said you know really the best time probably would have been a couple of months after Henry was born because mm -hmm. you know for, for Henry I think it, it would have been easier he slept you know he slept mm -hmm. god a lot he slept all the time he was bottle fed so my parents could have looked after him um you know the interaction isn't as much as it is as now with a four-year-old they don't go anywhere you don't need to take them to school you don't need to take them to football classes you know they can't talk so they can't tell you oh, mommy why can't you play with me today um mm -hmm. but obviously 
three months after giving birth to Henry, there was no way in hell I would have got pregnant again. It just would not have happened. So, so yeah, I think, you know, it's a bit of a process. It's been a hard one. Um, it's a bit like grieving, really. Um, yeah. You have a grieving process, and then you get to a point where you have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be completely honest, if everyone else could just stop having more children, it would be really helpful. <laughs> it would be good, wouldn't it? Would it would be really and helpful. I, and I wonder how many times you get asked the question as you're walking, you yeah. know, at the park with your four-year-old. Oh, so yeah. have you got, you know, are you going to have any more? Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, and what's, uh, that's another, you know, example of going back to what we were talking about earlier is that if I would love to be able to get to the point where I go, oh no, I had a high premises. And the other person go, oh God, I oh. totally understand. Mm. But they don't, wouldn't, they look at you, oh. you know. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would, The moment that it? you could say that, oh, yeah. actually, no, you know, this is why. And yeah. they go, oh yeah, fine. I understand. Yeah, exactly. No, you do. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a lot, it's very different. And, and also I'm an only child, so I know what it's like to be an only child. Um, it's actually pretty cool to be an only child. Um, and I know Henry will have a great life, whether he has a sibling or not, but I think in all honesty, it wasn't really about giving Henry a sibling. I've never really thought about having another child for that reason. Um, you know, if you asked Henry on any given day, would you like a sister or a dog? He would choose dog every (laughs) single time. You know, it's just, it's just not possible to, to ask a four year old and for them to be able to understand what having a brother or sister means you know mm. they can't possibly mm. contemplate that or understand that so it has to be for you it has to be for you and your partner um and you know for us and, and being completely completely honest i couldn't have made the sick film if we'd had another child mm. yeah. i couldn't have done you know two and a half you know two years ago probably would have been a good age gap between henry and you know a next child and we made the decision we don't think we can right now. And then the last few years, my entire life's been about, you know, getting the sick film together, producing it, presenting on it, and, um, you know, getting it out there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's kind of become my baby, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, which has been great. It's been a great, an amazing thing to do. Um, but I will say, I never say never. And if I was a little bit younger, I, I probably would wait for Henry to be, you know, 10, 11 years old and he'd be a bit more independent. Um, but I think it's a 99.9% that we won't have another one. Um, mm. And like I said, it's very sad. And I'm not at the acceptance stage yet because, yeah. like I said, other friends are starting to have more children and it just make me think, oh, I'll just do it. It'll be fine. And then my husband, that's normally after like a bottle of red wine. And my husband's like, no, no. <laughs> no it won't be <laughs> like okay. yeah. Um, but yeah we try and see you know we try and look to the future of all the other great things that that we've got going on and heavily you know again as I am an only child I'm a little bit defensive when people say oh you've got you can't just have mm. one I'm like uh, I'm fine <laughs> I survived <laughs> it's That's so okay. true yeah yeah um but no, it, it's another legacy of high premises, and I hold my I would hold my hands up and everything. I have so much respect and admiration for women who go through this. Not just second time, but a third and a fourth and fifth. It's just incredible. Mm. Um, and what I think is really important because I've had to tell myself this is that it again, it's not that I'm too weak to have another one no not that you know i can't compare myself to other women and think well they've done it another two times why can't i everyone's situation is different yeah um you know i'm an older mum anyway um so i have more risks having children at this age anyway you know uh, we don't have a huge amount of family where we live there's lots of different reasons that yeah doing this again would would not be the best idea yeah yeah and adding into that, Charlotte, the idea that we touched on earlier on with nine, um, HG only lasting nine months. Yeah. Actually, the legacy of HG lasts an awful lot longer than nine months. And you said, you know, you're four years down the line. And yeah. yet, would you say that you are, you have like recovered fully from HG, that it, there's no lingering anything from it? No, I wouldn't. And it's a really good point. I was talking to a really, really good friend of mine yesterday and she was asking if we could meet up halfway 
somewhere. She lives about an hour and a half away from me, um, just to go for a walk, social distance walk, we've not seen each other. And I said, no, and she said, why? And I said, well, I've got to be completely honest with you. My um, anxiety around driving has come back massively recently. Mm, okay. Something I suffered with straight after having Henry. Um, I almost went into, you know, mama bear protection mode, but on LSD. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, you looked at him and I thought you were going to abduct him. Like my mind was very much running on a max when it came to Henry and his safety and my personal safety. Um, and again, I, I don't like it's just my personality to joke about things, but I really don't care what happens to my husband most of the time. He can probably look but, after himself. Yeah, you know, but there's this, this <laughs> bond now with me and Henry. Like, we went yeah. through hyperemesis, we survived it, and um, I came out on the other side thinking everything was okay, but it wasn't. I do have and do suffer with quite extreme anxiety around his protection and my protection and mm -hmm. safety. Um, so driving... The example I gave I just I, I just can't I can drive somewhere very close to our house that's mm. fine um, I can't go on a new road um, I'm not very good on motorways anymore anymore um, and I'm actually probably because of the anxiety of not wanting to anything to happen I'm likely I think to make something happen because I'm too anxious driving if that makes sense I don't feel safe so yeah when you don't feel safe operating large machinery like a car it's probably best that you don't put yourself in those situations um yeah and i thought i was doing better and sometimes i am and then it kind of comes back again um so yeah so to answer your question definitely the anxiety that i suffer with now is um you know it, it affects it affects my life like if an opportunity came up i don't know to go somewhere and i had to drive there i i would need someone to drive me because i don't think i could do it or um, I think the only thing I, I can imagine is that if Henry needed me mm -hmm. to be somewhere and it was somewhere I wasn't comfortable going to, that would be okay. Cause I think the other kind of, you know, the protection mode on the other side would come in. Yeah. 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 It's stronger um, than the anxiety. It's stronger than the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's quite difficult. And I, I have had counseling for it. And I think, um, one of the things that I'm learning is that, you know, I think you can dip in and out of counselling sometimes, but mm. I think you you need to give it a good shot. And I didn't perhaps do it for long enough. And so it's something I need to go back and do. Yeah. Um, and just work out better ways of managing those feelings because Henry, you know, he's he's a four-year-old boy and he is into everything. And there isn't a day go by goes by that he doesn't hurt himself mm -hmm. because he's into everything and he's a, and he is naturally a daredevil unfortunately I didn't give birth to a <laughs> child that would just sit in color which would be far less just <laughs> me um it's, again it's like oh the irony of it all, all these situations so yeah. yes that is definitely something I need to do because I'm extremely conscious of the fact that I cannot pass that on to Henry mm -hmm. it can't be something that he becomes he watches me being fearful of everything and then copies that behavior or doesn't push himself because he's worried that I'm going to get upset or worried mm. for him. So. Yeah. And so mm. if we um, kind of look at the sick film, yeah, this project that you've been working on for two years with the, which has produced this amazing, I mean, phenomenal piece of work. Um, what, what really drove you to, to, to make that film? I think what I said earlier was actually the first time I've been really honest about the reason why. And I think it kind of was a replacement for me for not having another child. I think it was almost like I felt like, well, if I'm not going to have another child, something has to come from that. Mm -hmm. Because the hyperemesis has caused this. Um, it's, I think 90% we would have had another child. I'm not quite sure when, but if I hadn't have had hyperemesis, I'm pretty sure we would have done. I haven't done because of it so something has to come from that something good has to come from that yeah and you know I very much felt when I was suffering that I didn't have something visual to show people to educate them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I in the first instance didn't have something to watch which was you know going to validate what I was going through yeah 
And I think I remember saying to you, Karen, um, a while ago, you know, I'm, I'm okay at writing. I've written poems and stuff before, but I'm not where my strong point is. I've, yeah. I've done a lot of TV and film presenting before and I've read so many wonderful articles um, that have been so eloquently written about the condition. Yeah. I, thought, well, I can't beat that. So they're, they're brilliant, but what, what is it that I can do? And yeah. that's basically how sick came about. And it really has just evolved. I li we literally started, Lorne and I, who I met in a coffee shop two years ago, who amazingly just took this project on and has worked for free for the last two years, which is incredible. Um, and we didn't really know what was going to happen. We knew, we knew Caitlin yeah. from PSS and yourself. And it just kind of started from there, really. And it just kind of evolved. Um, we had these wonderful women who agreed to be part of it to, you know, really talk about a very vulnerable time in their lives and a very personal time of their lives. Um, and they were happy to do so. Um, at, you know, really without them, the film wouldn't have taken the form that it has. And I don't think it would have been as, as successful as it has. So I always have to say thank you to them. Um, and yeah, the plan really now is just to get this seen by as many people as possible. Yeah. And that's, that's the main focus going forward. Um, I post about this quite a lot about, you know, what we're kind of doing. The film is actually on the website at the moment, but you do need a password currently, um, which you'll need to email me to, to watch it. Um, it's, we're kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation at the moment, whereby if we can get this commission for TV or, um, you know, on a documentary channel, one of the kind of um, prerequisites is that it isn't freely available to the public. So mm -hmm. we've not been able to, to keep it freely available for, for more than the limited release that we had in May. Um, but I have so many women contacting me every day and their husbands and mothers and sisters asking to see it. Um, so I'm hoping very, very soon we, we have um, been throwing about the idea of maybe putting it on Amazon or, um, or just having it on YouTube on one of the YouTube channels. So keep posted because I'm hoping very, very soon that we we'll, would have made that decision and it will be on a platform where people can watch it. Um, in the meantime, we have been entering into uh, mental health film festivals and women's mm -hmm. health film festivals to see if we can get a little bit of recognition there. And um, that always helps when, when trying to promote a film further. Yeah, and I think the power of the, pa ooh, the, power of the film is that it, w it can be seen by, by other than sufferers. Yeah. Because I think it's really validating to watch as a sufferer, mm -hmm. like to see women actually in the throes of hypermesis was an unbelievable privilege really but it was it was really hard to watch yeah i was in pieces actually yeah. watching it but but the but the power of it is that then families can watch it and um friends and husbands and and they get a little taste of actually the reality of it and the the backstory that goes with it and that that is where all of the misunderstandings about the condition will be eventually stamped out because they can see the reality is very different from those um, preconceptions that people have about, oh, it's just a bit, a bit worse than morning sickness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as the film currently is, we'd like to develop it to make it a little bit longer. So it is more of a kind of an hour long documentary, but mm. you know, it, it has, has a lot of things that it has to do. I mean, first of all, it's, there to validate, like you said, HG sufferers and survivors. Um, it's there to show their family and all the people that they will come into contact with when they have this condition to try and get them to see what they're going through. But ultimately, and this is the big one, and I think the first two we can do relatively easily, like we can keep pushing it out, we can put it on YouTube, we can put it on Vimeo, on Amazon, and et cetera, et cetera. But the last one, which is the really big one for me, is to, to educate the people that don't know anything about it, who have never seen it, who don't have someone in their family who's currently suffering with it. Um, and if only really for the reason to take us right back to the first part of this podcast is that so they stop thinking about pregnancy sickness as morning sickness and yeah. start thinking about it as a spectrum. Um, you know, and if I can achieve that, then I will be a happy, 
happy, happy woman. Um, but it's, it's a lot to do with one film that has no budget. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Just, you know, myself and Lorne working on it. But, you know, there's, there's, um, there's hope for, for that. And I will keep pushing that forward. And hopefully somebody will see it and go, yeah, let's get this on a platform. Um, it'll be interesting to see next week when the Amy Schumer docuseries mm. comes out because I'm obviously ex expecting Amy is about her pregnancy and she had fibrosis yeah. so it'll be interesting to see how well that's received um what was quite uh, interesting to know is that Netflix actually passed up on on the opportunity to have that on their platform I don't know I'm not saying that's because of fibrosis being shown in it but you know it's a pregnancy documentary um and I think from what I've heard, Amy had to kind of fight to get it shown in the way that she wanted mm. it to be shown. So if Amy Schumer's finding it difficult, Charlotte Howden is going to struggle. <laughs> but I will try. Thank you for listening to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast. Everything you need to know about pregnancy sickness and hyperemesis gravidarum. For more information and support, please visit our website www.pregnancysicknesssupport.org.uk.